welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and here with me today is beautiful Mary. Hello, everybody. Mary, you always have such a pleasant-sounding voice. Why, thank you. I, well, I, uh, you're a pretty I pleasant person. Yeah, I generally I try to be. <laughs> Well, one of us has to be. <laughs> Life's too short. <laughs> Life's too short. Okay, so today um, I decided that I wanted to do, actually, I've been thinking about it for a little while, uh, to do a series or uh, discuss the topic of gender-specific diseases. Um, and what sort of got me thinking that direction was with um, your mom passing and getting very ill and, and succumbing to ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important that we talk about these um, diseases because men and women, as much as we are alike, we are different um, when it comes to our reproductive um, genital urinary um, setup in our body. Mm -hmm. And these are some things that people just don't want to talk about or are afraid to talk about or embarrassed uh, or ashamed to talk about. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. In fact, when I was um, researching this, there's some stuff that I learned about. Not that I'm saying, oh, yeah, I know everything, but things that I thought would be obvious for me to know, I didn't know. So there, there is no shame in um, our bodies. And there is no shame in um, taking care of our bodies and taking care of ourselves. I think we live in a time where it's a lot more open to talk about these things. I mean, I remember when I first saw my like period pad commercial on TV and I was mortified. I think I was watching it with my grandparents or something and I'm like, I want to die. I want to die. And now like everything's Max, out there. Pad commercial or something? Yeah, like something. Yeah, it was something like that. And so we live in a world now where it's just everything is all over the place all the time. And but it doesn't mean that because of this, people feel comfortable talking about things related to um, their bodies and sexual organs and, and stuff like that. Uh, so that's why I thought it was important to talk about this. Now, I'm going to do men's health and women's health, obviously, um, and maybe also talk about, uh, you know, um, some transgender uh, health issues as well, or things to consider if you're if you're transgender. So the first episode here is, uh, I'm, I'm doing it with men's health. And like I said, I, I learned some stuff as I went along. So I was trying to figure out what are the most important ones to talk about. And you know what, there are so many subjects, but I decided to pick these ones here. So I'm going to talk about testicular cancer, testicular torsion, benign prostatic hyperplasia, prostatitis, penile cancer, prostate cancer, and breast cancer in men. If there's anything that you guys feel that I have missed or want me to talk about further, just uh, email me or um, send me a message, Facebook message, that kind of thing. And uh, I'll be happy to address that because I think it's important, like we said. Okay, let, let's get into it. I'm going to first talk about testicular, testicular torsion. Now, this is something that I had seen a couple times in the ER, and it is a emer um, medical emergency. So it occurs due to the rotation and twisting of the testicle. It causes swelling and eventually cuts the blood supply off to the testicle. So obviously it's a medical emergency. And um, so it can cause the loss of a testicle. Um, and obviously the earlier it's treated, the better. And it's important that men and women, their, or their male partners, female partners, parents, um, you know, are aware of, of the symptoms, what to look out for. So it's a sudden onset of pain that can be severe in the scrotum on one of the testicles. So one or the other, the pain may increase and decrease, but on most occasions it will not go away. Some of the less common symptoms are swelling of the scrotum, 
or one testicle may be higher than the other and abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. So it is diagnosed through an external exam, an ultrasound or blood work, but sometimes you don't have time for those things. Um, so you go by what you see and what they're telling you. Um, and if they think it's a torsion, they go into surgery right away. So surgery, there's two things basically they try to do. Either fix it, so, you know, un get the the, the testicle in the, the proper position as it should be anatomically, or they have to remove the testicle. Mm. So obviously the removal of a testicle is a very serious thing. Like I said, working in the ER, I have seen um, men, children come in with this and you'll see, never see, <laughs> it was one of the few things where you'll see them like in whipped upstairs to surgery so quick. Um, mm. It must be, I would imagine, incredibly painful. Oh, yeah, absolutely painful. Even though the they say some of the symptoms are A, B, C, D, someone's coming in, clutching themselves, and, like, crying, bent over, puking, because the pain is so bad. Um, and they say, specifically, it's my testicle right here. You're just going to assume this is, this is what's happened to it mm -hmm. um, or happened to them. So a couple of things that came to my attention being a female, um, not really, so coming from a family that just, just didn't talk about these things. Um, I haven't been around a, a lot, a lot of men to have these discussions with. I've talked a few times with my son about stuff and I've tried to educate myself as much as possible, but this is just one or two things that came up for me. You see TV, movies, memes, all these other things that come out about a guy getting kicked in the balls. How much does it hurt? And I'm thinking, well, how much can it hurt? I know it sounds ridiculous, but these guys that get kicked or hit there, like, hit the deck. Okay. Um, so I, I talked to my son and he's like, you have no idea. <laughs> it is instant, like, want to puke. It goes up into their, their stomach, and it's just, the he couldn't even describe the type of pain it is and the sensation or the feeling of it. It's just that, yeah, it's like instant nausea, instant over-the-top pain. So you just, like, drop to your knees. Yeah, so when this happens, it's definitely not an over-exaggeration. Mm -hmm. And I know, I mean, okay, how how would I know? How dare I say... Well, how much can that hurt? And it's so easy for people to do that. I'm not, I wasn't questioning whether it hurt. I'm just like, well. What does it feel like? Is it like this is one of those things that is over-exaggerated and you see it in movies and TV and people do this or that? Or is it for real, uh, you know, uh, as horrible as it looks? Well, okay, it is. And sorry, guys, I didn't really doubt you. I just wasn't sure. And not being a chick and not having testicles, I have no idea. And no one should ever kick anybody in the testicles unless it's, you know, obviously they're protecting themselves. Oh, some girls are, think it's funny just to, to nail some guy in the nuts. Oh, go to moon. No, no, never do that. No, you said earlier something about not being a chick and not being. <laughs> oh, did I say not being a chick? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do feel kind of androgynous, but uh, <laughs> I don't have. It's like. I mean, I meant, I meant not, different... being, not being a guy. Sorry. Um, not, you know. That's okay. Not well, having... I, I'm used to that. So you guys will get used to it too. What? When you say the wrong word. <laughs> yeah. You know what I, you know what I meant. Uh, so, okay. But it's usually some sort of trauma, I guess, that would cause this usually. Um, sometimes it's, there is kind of no trauma. It just sort of happens. Could you know, it maybe be a, there's a weakness. like a precursor to testicular cancer? Uh, no, there's no, no there's nothing to say okay. about that. Um, but I mean, it could be a weakness that's caused a, the torsion to happen or it could be from injury. Absolutely. So, but, um, you know, all joking aside, even some kids think it's funny to, to nail, you know, a guy in the nuts. And I just think that's, that's assault and, and, uh, you just don't do it. Okay. Not that any of you listening to would, but just in case one of you are out there thinking, Hmm. But like I said, if you got to protect yourself, you've got to protect yourself. And if that's going to drop someone, that's going to drop someone. So yeah, exactly. But other than that, no, don't ever do it. Um, and it seems stupid that I'm even saying that, but we live in a world where stupid is front and center every yeah. day. 
TikTok challenges and whatever bullshit. Oh my god, please don't tell me there's a TikTok challenge where you gotta kick guys in the nuts. Oh, I don't know. Maybe there is and maybe they're not. Uh. I remember when I was umpiring softball that, uh, you know, you have your protective gear and stuff like that and, and um, you know, generally you're kind of position yourself so you're mostly protected somewhat by the, the catcher in front of you as well too. But sometimes stuff happens and I remember there was an older fellow that was uh, umpired and uh, the fellow told me he had to get called to the game to replace him because he got a foul pitch or I think it was like a foul tip or something in the groin. I guess you don't think necessarily like maybe as a catcher you might wear a jog but not necessarily as an umpire and there's an older fellow and he, he it wasn't a torsion but it was like really badly swollen like his his testicles were really badly swollen he had, and it was a medical emergency he had to go to absolutely hospital. that swelling cause, uh, cuts off uh, blood flow. Yeah, so he had to go to the hospital right away. Poor guy. Yeah, ouch. Um, I've had a few foul tips. Tips to your bits? <laughs> tips to my bits. <laughs> Doesn't feel good. Uh, well, the inner thigh area, maybe. One thing. Approaching the. Well, I'm going to tell this little story about when you and I first started dating. <laughs> and you nailed me in the nethers with a with a <laughs> snowball. I yeah. did, didn't I? Yeah, she did. We're out being playful. And, you know, this is a woman who's an athlete who can throw like the Dickens. Just good, good athlete. Picks up a hard, makes a hard pack snowball and whips it and hits me right in the bits. <laughs> now I went down like a ton of bricks. Sorry. And I don't didn't have anything external to hit. <laughs> anyway, I just said to throw that in there um and of course i'll never let her let her live it down and also it didn't really hurt that much <laughs> wait go ahead say it jerk no here's another thing that i wasn't quite sure of and you think as a nurse i would know or would be sure of but you know i wasn't i'm gonna admit to it that if a man loses one or both testicles is he able to get an erection and my brain is like, well, why wouldn't he? Stupid me, or just not understanding the mill, this is how you learn, is that, you know, the testicles make testosterone, and you need to have that testosterone to get and maintain an erection. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge deal for being able to reproduce and be and able to have children to not be impotent but it's a huge deal for um sexual health so and just like how we as women go through menopause men will go through sort of andropause and sometimes they'll have low testosterone which doesn't just affect their libido but also affects their their whole body in a lot of ways like older men sometimes will feel tired a lot and they're just not as vital and stuff. So it's it's important regardless of what stage of the life they're at. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to get into some of those things. So let's move on to talk about the prostate and different uh, conditions, different things that can happen um, that cause prostate problems. So first of all, the prostate is a gland that lies beneath the bladder. It surrounds the urethra that transports urine out of the body. It starts, starts off small in boys and grows larger during puberty as the testosterone levels increase. In healthy adults, it's about the size of a walnut. The prostate gland's main function is during sexual intercourse. The prostate gland's main function is during sexual intercourse. At ejaculation, sperm is mixed with fluid from the prostate gland. And... There is a, the PSA, which is a, the prostate specific antigen liquidizes the ejaculate to improve the chances of fertilization. The fluid produced by the prostate also prevents infection in the urethra. So basically, if I'm understanding this right, the sperm comes out, it produces this liquid that helps increase the volume of liquid and helps to transport the sperm. And because of this liquid, they don't get a, an infection because it helps, you know, women, we have our natural 
bacteria that uh, live in um, our vagina that help keep us from getting uh, infection. So, I, I, you know, it must be the, the same thing or similar uh, purpose. Yeah, very Nature is amazing sometimes. <laughs> Nature is amazing. Okay, so I'm going to talk about prostatitis. It's the inflammation of the prostate gland. It's the most common urological condition in men. It's 25% of all urological conditions. So that's, that's a lot. And it comes in three forms. The first one is acute bacterial prostatitis, which is often due to bacteria infecting the urinary tract. The second is chronic bacterial prostatitis, that's bacteria persists in the prostate gland, causing reoccurring episodes of infection, and they're often symptomless in between. So it kind of, I don't know if it ever really goes away. They sort of, maybe the antibiotics help fight it, and then there's this period where they're symptomless and then it comes back. So it's a, a chronic infection. And then there's chronic abacterial prostatitis, where there are no signs of bacteria in the prostate and no reoccurring urinary tract infections. And the cause of the inflammation is unknown. So, yeah. So the symptoms for this are discomfort during or after ejaculation, fever, pain or discomfort between the scrotum and the anus, um, pain in the lower back, penis, testicles, rectum, or inner thighs, and lower UTI system, um, symptoms like burning sensations while peeing and also frequency, having to get up a lot to go. How is it diagnosed? Well, they will do an external, doctor will do an external check of the abdomen and perineum and the genitals as well as a digital rectal exam. It's short formed as DRE. So um, just so if I say DRA, it's digital rectal exam. Um, the prostate gland will be tender and have a spongy consistency. So it'll not, it'll be owie when they, they poke around in there. Um, they also do blood work, blood culture, CBC, differential, and check the PSA levels. PSA levels are so important because they're an indicator for obviously inflammation, but it's also a cancer marker if they're how elevated they are and between what levels they are. Of course, they'll do a urine test. And so this, I can see, oh, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Men. Okay, I'm not going to say men, because that's talking about every man. Okay. I've heard a lot of men, just not on TV or whatever, like actual male people talking about their one of their worst fears is to get a digital rectal exam by their doctor. Like the thought of it terrifies them. And in fact, they just won't go and get checked. For this because of the stigma behind of it because of the fear that's driven by it there's a lot of um let's just face it homophobia kind of thoughts where it's like i'm not gay that's gay and okay not there is like that's some of the thing that you hear you know and there um it has to get done guys yeah well, it's not like women enjoy going for pap smears. We hate it. We have to get it done all the time, at least every two years. Yeah, I think it's two or three now. I'm yeah, thinking. and you know what they do? They don't just go in there and poke around. They really like, like have a good look in there. <laughs> and they put like a speculum in, so like you're stretched out quite a bit. And then they go in with this little tiny, tiny pincers and pull a chunk off your cervix. That hurts mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. and we hate it. Mm -hmm. And even after, after menopause, you still have to go get it checked out, ladies. And we hate it. And we, so many of us will avoid it as well, but we gotta go. So you guys, if we have to do it, you have to do it. You just gotta get the, the old plumbing checked, as I say. Yeah, and I, so there's this stigma about, um, you know, are you gay? And that it's going to hurt, of course. Um, some people uh, get a lot of pleasure from having um, anal sex and having their prostate um, 
um, I don't want to say manipulated. That's not the Stim- right word. Stimulated. stimulated yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things they do for this, this is why I brought it up, is that the doctor will actually massage the uh, prostate to release this glandular fluid. So then they'll take that fluid that comes out as like a, like an ejaculate and they take that fluid and they send it off for testing and see what comes back. Mm-hmm. So you see what the PSA levels are, you see how that fluid is tested to really see if there's infection, like you name it. And so I can see, and, and again, I w- I've been reading up on it going on um, like boards, uh, um, men's health. Uh, threads and stuff like that that to them that's one of the most humiliating things to to go through is not completely understanding why it's happening and to go and sort of have sort of have your prostate massage which like again is apparently a, a really pleasurable thing at least some people enjoy it some men sorry um and then to to intentionally have this happen to them is is mortifying so I can totally understand it. Like I said, it's mortifying for us to, or it's horrible for us to have this happened. So what I'm saying is you guys aren't alone. We've got one. You've got one <laughs> that we yeah, absolutely it's hate. It's an important medical procedure it to, is. for your health. So if you can, please do not feel shame about this. Um, that's hard to say, but I mean, your doctor has probably done God knows how many of these. If you're seeing a proctologist, you can ask for a male doctor if that makes you feel more comfortable um, or, or not. It's up to you. But please go get your regular exams done, especially if you're, well, usually under the age of 40, it's not, not done um, unless there's a really um, good reason to do it, uh, like history um, in the family. So then they'll, they'll under 30 or 35 and older, they'll drop it by about five years. But anyway, guys, it's important. Okay, so the treatment for this is um, antibiotics um, and anti-inflammatory drugs and maybe an operation if there's an abscess. And an abscess is basically a pocket of pus that's been encapsulated by, um, you know, tissue to hold the abscess fluids uh, in place so that they don't spread among around the rest of the body and uh, you want to deal with an abscess uh, ASAP because if that bursts, you in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this one here is, I had no idea about how bad this could get. And it's called benign prostatic hyperplasia. And from this point on, I'm going to call it BPH. It's just easier. So it's a gradually progressive disease that often affects men aged 40 and above. And 40% of men over the age of 60 have lower urinary tract symptoms because of BPH. And it really can affect quality of life. And about half of the men that get it or have this have a severe, um, severe damage to their quality of life. So here are some of the, uh, the symptoms. Difficulty starting to pee. A weak stream. Straining to pass urine. Urination takes a long time. Feeling of incomplete bladder emptying, needing to pass urine urgently, passing only a little bit of urine despite an urgent need, needing to pass urine all the time, getting up frequently in the night, and having the increasingly inability to pass urine. So that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, these are a lot of symptoms and very dangerous. Because if a bladder is full, and they can't get the urine out. Again, that's, an, that's another medical emergency. I have treated men in the ER whose bladders were honestly close to bursting. They were, and these guys were in a ton of pain. So we put it, you know, the deal is to put a catheter in to drain the urine. But how do you get past a, a massively large swollen or grown, like, you know, large prostate? You got to push through the ureter and get right up in there. So you have to sort of push past this tight space. Incredibly painful. So if the if they have this um, this condition, then it's like exerting more pressure through the ureter in a sense. 
Well, I mean, the ureters narrowed. Oh, okay. So if you think about holding a straw and your fingers are the... the you're holding a straw with your two fingers and your fingers are, say, the, the prostate. So you, you're, as it grows or as it gets bigger, those your fingers are squishing the ureter, but from a 360 way. So it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, the, the, a, the ability to flow. So now I'm going in there with a catheter trying to push this narrow space. Incredibly painful. And if you can't do it, they often do like a needle aspiration. They'll put it straight into the bladder and drain oh, it that wow. way. Yeah, that's severe. That's it is, but I mean, the, the alternative it can be deadly. Mm. So, yeah, so it's uh, I, I've seen that quite a bit, and um, I guess uh, and a lot you know the, a lot of these were older gentlemen, and um, you know maybe at the time they did have this uh, BPH. So how do you diagnose this? The doctor um, may use the International Prostate symptom score didn't know anything about this the ipss questionnaire to measure the symptoms and then there's uh, so i mean if you answer these questions yes no somewhere in between the higher you score the more likely that you have this other tests are the dre the digital rectal exam they're uh, testing for the size and the shape um, abdominal exams to check for urine um, urinary retention um, urine and blood tests uh, for infection or unusual cells, the PSA test, so the increased level often suggests prostate damage, and a high PSA often suggests cancer. Mm-hmm. They do a uroflowmetry. So basically they're measuring your flow. Right. How so much they is... like fill up your bladder and then see how much comes out kind of thing? I, yeah, I, I guess. I don't know exactly how the test works, but they're just checking to see how fast or how much urine is coming out. So anything under 15 mils a second apparently is like bad. Um, and post-voidal residue, how much is left after they pee. And they do a transrectal ultrasound, which is they go in with a, like a wand up the rectum and do ultrasound imaging with it. Women get the same thing. We call it, it's ours is a transvaginal. Not pleasant, but necessary. Um, so the treatment, it depends on how bad it is. The seriousness of this disease or condition, the quality of life, how, it, how badly it affects the quality of life and urine flow and retention. So one of the options is surgery. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about, more about that in a second. Um, beta blockers, they increase urine flow and there's uh, a 60% improvement or there's an improvement of 60% of men that take it and they see an improvement in two to three weeks and some side effects affect um, 10 to 15% of men such as tiredness, headaches, and dizziness. The other is ACE inhibitors. Uh, They increase flow rates and can reduce the course of BPH. It works best in patients with large prostate and elevated PSA levels and it takes about three to six months to start working. And then there's the combo treatment where they get both beta blockers and ACE inhibitors. And that, you know, you don't want to put too many drugs in your body, but that tends to be the the best um, treatment for, for some men. Now, beta blockers and ACE inhibitors are generally used a lot for blood pressure issues. Yeah. So... Don't ask me how it works. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say. I'm just saying I, like it's interesting because there. But I mean, no, I know sometimes one of the side effects when people take it as a blood pressure medication is increased urination. Can be, yeah. Yeah, so it makes sense in a, yeah. in a way. So maybe that's the. So see, I I find farm pharma, pharmaceutical or pharmacy science really fascinating. I've talked about this before. Pharma, pharmacology. Pharmacology. That's it. <laughs> pharmacy science. <laughs> But like, okay, how do we figure this all out? First of all, which is awesome. Like, who's the first person that ate some willow bark and went, wow, my head feels better. Well, my fever's dropped. I don't know who did it, but it's pretty cool. And whoever figured it out is um, a genius. But yeah. So willow bark has? Like uh, like aspirin. Oh, okay. Similar to, to aspirin that causes uh, to reduce fever and, and pain. Um, now... See, like Advil, for instance, ibuprofen, sorry. 
it, you know, it takes care of fever, inflammation, and pain. That's pretty damn cool. Not just one thing. It does those three things. And at what point were we taking ibuprofen and went, holy shit, I don't have menstrual cramps. I don't have a fever from the, the, the flu that I have. And my, my, uh, my joints are less swollen. You know what I mean? I came up with a ridiculous scenario, but. There's a great clip. I'll see if I can find it to post it. And it was uh, a guy who had, was a trucker. It was like a big dude. And he had a headache and he stopped at this, you know, convenience store, truck stop or whatever. And the only thing he had was Midol. And he was so desperate. He was like, I don't care. I'll take it. And then he's like, in his video, he's like, y'all been like holding out on us. He's like, I feel like less grumpy. I like less bloated. <laughs> oh my God. It doesn't affect your mood. I guess your mood is affected when you don't feel as shitty, but yeah, <laughs> that that's funny though. What, what what's what's this hey why why is it only for the ladies i'll I'll keep eye of that exactly okay let's talk about surgical procedures so one of the major surgical procedures is called a terp i'm sure people have heard that some people have heard terp he's getting a terp he got a terp it's a transurethral resection of the prostate okay so they use a receptoscope which is a thin telescope to see into the prostate. The prostate is then scraped away using an electrified wire loop. A catheter is inserted and left in place for up to 24 hours, and it reduces symptoms in 70 to 90% of men. In many situations, the prostate does grow back, necessitating further terps. I didn't know this. Men cannot have children after this procedure. So most men, it would actually be a bit of a miracle if they could have a child after this procedure. So, so is it sort of, I wonder if it's similar to like, you know, when they do the ablation for the heart where they kind of like, like burn, burn it sort of a kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking more like, and this is going to sound crazy, but I was watching a Dr. Pimple Popper where this one, the guy had like the big rosacea nose and they use like that wire cauterization to to pull off like chunks of the skin. Oh, so I'm thinking that's okay. like you take a gland and maybe that's what they're doing. So it's like, okay, so like a scrapey kind of burny. Yeah, that's and it cauterizes it as it goes, but um, sure yeah. They have given lots of medication. Uh, yeah, it's they're yeah. under... Anesthetic. <laughs> anesthetic. It's not like here's a local. Deal with it. I know. No, I know what I mean. Barely. They're just saying, like, yes, I would sure you'd be under general anesthetic and uh, okay, so killers for a while afterwards. So what happens? Why they can't have children after is they get something called a dry orgasm, or also known as a retrograde ejaculation. The semen is released into the bladder, and then it comes out through urination. It's not harmful. And now I'm like, okay, so what exactly happens to make this happen? Well, it's damage to the muscles or nerves surrounding the neck of the bladder where the urethra connects to the bladder and causes the semen to go back up into the bladder instead of out the urethra. And also this, um, the terps can cause incontinence and erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot to consider. I mean, just because someone's over a certain age doesn't mean that stuff isn't as important to them. So I think it's always something to consider. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's why, you know, I think there's been a, more of a push lately with some men's health and men's cancers and stuff like that to, you know, prompt them to get this checked when they're younger. Yeah, uh, for, yes. Preventative, right? For, for pre preventative for many reasons and this being one of them, mm -hmm. yeah. So next is the open prostatectomy. And this is for very large prostates. Um, they will remove the growth in the prostate via an incision made into the lower abdomen, a catheter is in usually for two or three days afterwards, and it gives them the same results as a TERP and also the same side effects like retrograde ejaculation um, and 70% of men in erectile dysfunction um, and incontinence. And, uh, and obviously that's more serious because you're actually open instead of going in laparoscopically, you're or going up into... Um, through the penis, you're actually uh, opening up a large... Once you start cutting through muscle and fat layers mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you know, it's just so much more dangerous, so much higher risk. Okay. Here's another one. It's called a, a prostatic urethral 
lift, also known as a pull. So it's a, from tiny permanent implants are placed to lift and hold the enlarged tissue so it no longer blocks the urethra. And it's the only BPH procedure that does not involve any cutting, heating, or removal of the prostate tissue. And it's the least invasive. So I guess they try. They, there's no local, there's just, they do it with local anesthesia. Um, there's no sexual dysfunction, no catheter needed. It's rapid recovery. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's one, you know, people say, well, why, why wouldn't be, they use this all the time? Well, it must be, you know, there's got to be a lot of factors that make this ideal. Yeah, maybe someone who they've caught it sooner or it's a milder case, I would think, probably. Or maybe it's too dangerous for the other ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be different too, things. Yeah. Think about that, yeah. Okay, so the next is laser therapy. And it, what it does is it vaporizes the tissue. Um, and with this, there's a risk of incontinence, impotence, and retrograde ejaculation. Oh, no, actually, I read that wrong. The risk of incontinence, impotence, and retrograde ejaculation is very low. All right, so next we're going to move on to the cancers. Um, first of all, I'm going to talk about testicular cancer. Although it is rare, this is the most common cancer in young men, so one in 200 men. Um, it's of unknown cause, and it's more common in white men between the ages of 15 to 49 years old. And more than half of the men, young men that get it are under 35. And it's one of the most beatable cancers. Nearly all men are cured. Thank goodness. The symptoms. So there is a painless lump or swelling in one of the testicles. And it can actually just be something tiny like the size of a pea or it may be much longer. Sorry, guys. Or it may be much larger. Oh, God. There's a feeling of heaviness in the scrotum and a dull ache or discomfort in the testicle or scrotum. If it spreads it can cause backache or a dull ache in the lower abdomen. Lumps in, so your lymph nodes will get swollen um, if it's uh, starting to go into other parts of the body. So check the neck um, into the shoulder area, clavicle, and then also in the groin area. And then you might get a cough or feeling of restlessness and tender or swollen chest breast area. So you want to, you know, anything going on with uh, your testicle scrotum, any, your, your penis, oh, get it checked out immediately, guys. No messing around. So the diagnosis is ultrasound, MRI, blood work, biopsy. The thing with biopsy is that it may actually increase the risk of cancer cells spreading. Because sometimes when you go in there, it activates them and they get, they go out of control and it can make it worse. Um, and they also check for tumor markers. Um, uh, the alpha fetoprotein is what they're, they're checking for and white blood cells. So if this protein is found, it means that the cancer cells of this specific type of cancer are re- being released into the blood. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I was thinking, is that kind of like when you're talking about it gets worse? Is it like a, almost like the theory of like fire and oxygen? It's like somehow you, you introduce something and it makes it worse? Is well, that... I guess maybe in the healing process it grows. I don't know because um, I know cancers just feed off the body. They feed off of glucose. So I don't know the exact reason, but I, you know, I've heard, definitely heard that before. Um, treatment. Pretty much it's removal of the testicle, also known as an orchidectomy. And there is a slight chance of impotence. Um, but the other testicles should be able to do the job. And that's where I was like, okay, that's what I started thinking. Explain to me how this works. So I, I figured it out or read about it. Um, the other, other treatments are chemotherapy and radiation. Of course, that's when it's advanced and hopefully it doesn't get to that. Okay. The next thing we're going to talk about is penile cancer. So one in every hundred thousand men will get it. So it's pretty rare. And it's extremely rare under the age of 40. And it's potentially fatal. It usually appears as a, like almost like a pimple or a little wart um, at the end of the penis or on the foreskin. 
So this is where this is interesting, and this is where culture comes into play. In North America, of course, we're talking about North America, but let's say places in the world where circumcision is routinely performed, it is rare. So non-circumcised countries or areas have a higher risk of penile cancer. And why does this happen? Because there's a buildup under the foreskin that can increase the risk of cancer. Uh, the other things that can cause it is unprotected sex um, with a lot of partners and smoking. Signs and symptoms. Painless sore on the end of the penis or on the foreskin. Any other painless sore or wart on the penis. Aside from that, you may also have a persistent sore spot, an ulcer or warty lump on the penis that slowly spreads. Have tender or swollen lymph nodes in your groin or your abdomen bleeding during urination and painful or difficult urination. So how do they diagnose this? So, you know, your sort of your regular things, uh, biopsy is the big one, CT scan, MRI, blood work. The treatment is surgery. It's the first line of treatment. Get, cut it off, get rid of it. Right. Cut, what did they cut off? The well, bump? The well, bump? What? The bump? Well, yeah, I mean, Mass. they're, they're, first of all, a person, if it's uh, on the, they'll get circumcised right away. Oh, right. Yeah. If they're not circumcised, that makes yeah. sense. So they'll get, uh, and so that will remove any of the, these, these tumors from the, the foreskin, but also decrease the risk. Um, or like you said, do microsurgery to move small tumors around the head of the penis. But for more advanced uh, tumors uh, that are at the tip of the penis, they'll have a partial penectomy, which I don't have a penis, but my legs are crossing right now. <laughs> and then unfortunately, uh, advanced it would have a, a total penectomy. Um, but, it, you know, and then they have to go through reconstructive surgery on top of that so that they can have um, a new urethral opening. Now there are some reconstruction, there are some reconstructive surgeries to um, sort of, you know, make a penis similar, I guess, to, I mean, reconstructive surgery for, for women for breasts and stuff. I mean, there's way more involved because you have to have a, a urethra, um, you know, um, a working urethra, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's awful. Um, and then radiation and chemotherapy. Okay, let's talk about prostate cancer. It is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in men in most developed countries. The lifetime risk of prostate cancer in men is 30%. Prostate cancer is scary and can be fatal if left untreated, but it's important to know that many men die with prostate cancer rather than from pro uh, prostate cancer. Yeah, so it's like they didn't even know they had it. They're well into their or the way that they years. had treatment for it um, prolonged their life to a degree that it didn't cause the gotcha. Like you got you were diagnosed when you were seventy five and you died of heart failure when you were at eighty two, but it wasn't the yeah it wasn't the it wasn't the prostate wasn't the cancer, cancer that yeah. did it. Okay, signs and symptoms. Early detection is critical. Ninety eight percent of men with low grade prostate cancer can live for more than five years. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but they, they can't really say 10, 15, 20 years. Basically it's marked by five year periods. Right. You yeah. know, and I, I mean, mean, it's not always, but you know, you'll often see, well, if treated, you can live up to five years, but you, you can't go that far ahead, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Well, and then oftentimes, right, like you said, they're diagnosed when they're more senior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and age is the single greatest risk factor for prostate cancer. The older you are, the higher chance you have of developing the disease. Other risk factors include um, genetics, so uh, close relatives with the condition, a diet high in saturated fats, such as from cheese and red meat. Symptoms. Many men don't have symptoms, and some may experience a variety of them, like weak streams of urine, frequent urination, urgent need to urinate or difficulty starting, blood in the urine or pain in the groin area, bone pain, sudden weight loss, and other health issues. So I, that would be more for more advanced prostate cancer. 
So how is it diagnosed? Now we talked about um, the prostate-specific antigen. So they measure that. So normally only a tiny portion of PSA is absorbed into the bloodstream. But with prostate cancer, the PSA leaks into the blood vessels. And that's because there's damage or something bad going on with the prostate. And that, like I said before, is also an indicator for um, BPH. The next is DRE. And this is the most useful clinical assessment. The doctor checks for the consistency and size of the prostate through the rectum um, by inserting a figure into an anus. That's what we talked about before. Okay, so transrectal ultrasound and biopsy, also known as a TRUS, T-R-U-S, uses uh, an ultrasound probe in the rectum to create a visual image of the area. And biopsies are taken using a needle under local anesthetic. Treatment. Well, there's several treatment options. It depends on the aggressiveness of the cancer. So one of them is watchful waiting. Okay. And they do that with small or less aggressive cancers and men over 70 or men with such uh, health issues as angina or COPD. So let's just wait and watch and see how quickly or slowly this advances. Um, and this, though, requires careful follow-up with regular DRA and PSA monitoring. Yeah, and I think probably if you're saying one of the causes is, is diet, some dietary factors, so they might suggest, oh, cut down on, you know, oh, absolutely. Those, those things to... So just to sort of like clean up your, your, your health. <laughs> um, but again, you know, I know if I'm over 70, I'm happy to have made it to 70. So it depends on what way I'm looking at this time. I might be like... Mm -hmm. Screw it, I'm going to eat whatever I want. Or I'm going to be like, all right, I need to get my shit together. <laughs> but about time at 70, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's never too late. All right, radical prostatectomy is another one. It removes the entire prostate. Um, and of course, likely have erectile dysfunction and stress incontinence. Then there's radical prostatectomy, which removes the entire prostate. And it causes men to become infertile and have erectile dysfunction, and stress incontinence. Then there's another one called external beam therapy, also known as EBRT. And this is suitable for patients with medical conditions that make surgery high risk. And it works over, they, they do this over a six-week period. So a beam of radiation destroys the cancer cells in the prostate and lymph nodes. The side effects are minimal, but inflammation of the rectum, rectal bleeding, and blood in the urine can occur. And EBRT can offer a 15-year overall survival. If it reoccurs, it can't be treated with surgery. So that's the thing. It's mm. like, uh, this is a, a safer way of doing it. But if it doesn't work, it, you will become palliative. And there are other treatments that, are, that may help, but sur surgery is no longer an option. Okay, so but I'm not going to say, well, what if, well, you know, at 85, it shouldn't, you know, what? No. Okay, age is, you're alive, man. <laughs> you know, just everybody want, I mean, most people I think want to live. So, yes, you're much older, but then also there may be other conditions that can make you sick or make it impossible to do surgery on. Anyway, it's, it's a good option for, for many men. Um, okay. The next one is brachytherapy, B-R-A-C-Y therapy, brachytherapy. It places radioactive seeds, okay, directly into the prostate using 15 to 20 needles. It's most suitable for men with smaller, lower risk cancer and those that have small to medium-sized prostates. And the field of radiation is calculated very specifically to avoid damage to the urethra and the rectum. So these tiny little, they're called seeds, but they're just like these little balls. I don't know what they're made up of. Almost like have, a microscopic pellet. Yeah, yeah. That um, Of radioactive material. Yeah, and it just sort of sits around the area. and It's probably really, it, really tiny. Oh, yeah. Well, seeds. Mm -hmm. They call them, it's, quote, seeds. Mm-hmm. That's the, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a really neat procedure. But there's a big chance of swelling of the prostate that can cause worse urinary tract symptoms for a while. 
So you're putting these little seeds in there. It's going to cause swelling and inflammation, and it could be bad to the point of, you know, your your symptoms can become worse. Um, Or maybe they'd have to be catheterized. Yeah, yeah. During that time, maybe. It, it's hard to say, but, you know, there is an accre- a chance that your symptoms may get worse before they get better. Um, so it's used with caution in patients with existing bladder um, flow problems and obstru- um, obstruction, obviously, because it can make it much worse. And the outcomes are sim- similar to EBRT. Okay, so there are other options for locally advanced prostate cancer. So these cancer cells have spread to the seminal vesicles or the bladder, but not to the lymph nodes or bones. And they want to avoid surgery. So they'll use EBRT, like I talked about earlier, and hormone therapy, also known as androgen ablation. And they often use it together. So they can use it separately or use it together, which seems to have the best outcome. However, not everybody can do both, right? So th- this is how the, the hormone therapy works. It's, it's also known as androgen therapy. And they're using medications to block testosterone production, um, which is a hormone linked to prostate growth, prostate cancer growth. Up to 80% of men with prostate cancer respond really well to this treatment. The side effects are decreased sex drive, impotence, hot flashes, and breast enlargement and soreness. And it also reduces the size of the cancer and slows the progression, but it is not a cure. We'll get into why that happens. So then there's metastatic prostate cancer. It, uh, it spreads to other parts of the body. Um, it's now in the bones, the lymph, and other organs. So their PSA levels will now be through the roof. Um, CT scans will show spread. Lymph nodes may also be enlarged and 70% of men with prostate cancer will die within five years. So, with um, that particular metastatic one, so it's more, yeah. it's more advanced. Mm-hmm. So they may actually yeah. remove the testicles at this point because of their testosterone production. And for men that have their testicles removed, they actually can put in prosthetic testicles just, you know, for cosmetic appearance. Because sometimes that just, you know, you think women have their breasts removed. Um, it's, it really has a, a um, extreme like emotional effect. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, and so for men, it's, you know, um, I, I would suspect it's the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the side effects are hot flashes, loss of libido, and impotence. And 80% of men will have progression slowed for about 18 months. So it's not long-term, but it's time. Um, So then there's another treatment called LHRH. Basically, it's um, their anti-androgens. And you can use the testicle removal and this treatment together. So these are drugs that block the release of hormones that stimulate the production of testosterone. And also... Estrogen is believed to damage prostate cancer cells. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So estrogen treatments, which explains some of the side effects that these men will have, which is breast growth, breast tissue growth. What's that? Gynecomastia? Gynecomastia. Yeah. And hot flashes. Um, So, yeah, that's... that's, uh, uncomfortable and uh i think i don't know did i say uh chemotherapy and radiation right the standard protocols so yeah those are are the the treatment for prostate cancer next we're going to move on to um male breast cancer now it is rare but one in every hundred breast cancers diagnosed is found in men Hmm. that's higher than i thought it would yeah So it's one in every hundred diagnosed breast cancers, so not one in every hundred breast ca- um No, no, but still, to yeah. me, that seems like, yeah, it's yeah. not as, you don't hear about it as much. Yeah. No, you don't. Um, again, I think this is something that, you know, people don't want to talk about as well. Um, the most common types of breast cancers are the same in both men and women. Now we're going to be talking about uh, breast cancer in women. 
um, as well. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about the type of cancers, but I'll, I will go into it a little bit here. So there's the um, invasive dust, ductal carcinoma, where the cancer begins in the ducts and then grows outside of the ducts into other parts of the breast tissue and can metastasize. Then you have the invasive lobular carcinoma that begins in the lobules and then spread from the lobules to the breast tissues that are close by. Of course, it, you know, it can metastasize as well. You have the ductal carcinoma in situ. This is a breast disease that may lead to invasive breast cancer. The cancer cells are only in the lining of the ducts and have not spread to the other tissues of the breast, but can. Okay. And then um, there is Paget's disease of the breast. So Paget's disease is a disease of a problem with the body recycling itself, so to speak. So it's usually seen in the bone. And what happens is that new bone replaces old bone, but this new bone is very weak and fragile. So the same thing happens with the, the breast. They usually have an underlying ductal breast cancer. Okay. And then the Paget disease of the breast, uh, um, starts on the nipple and the areola. So together it creates this, uh, this cancer. Okay. So here are the symptoms in men, some similar to women, but specifically for men, lump or swelling in the breast, redness or flaky, flaky skin in the breast, which goes back to the Paget's disease, irritation or dimpling of the breast skin, nipple discharge and pulling of the nipple area. So it sort of pulls back in. So it looks like a, like a dimple. It's all very similar like to puckers. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So risk factors are age after the age of 50, genetic mutations, so, um, you know, family history of breast cancer, hormone therapy that is used to treat prostate cancer. Um, also, it's called Klinefelter syndrome, is a rare genetic condition in which a male has an extra X chromosome and can lead to the body making higher levels of estrogen and lower levels of androgen. Um, and androgen helps maintain or develop and maintain the male um, sex characteristics and conditions that affect testicles can um, can cause it like injury swelling or removal of the testicles liver disease cirrhosis of the liver lower androgen levels and raise estrogen levels and that causes a um, breast cancer risk and also obesity that's interesting stuff for sure yeah, yeah um, i'm learning lots yeah, I mean, again, uh, men's breast cancer is, or breast cancer in men, you know, you don't, you, you don't hear a lot about it, but it is, it is a real thing. Um, diagnosis, uh, physical examine, examination, health history, um, and uh, very thorough examination with, of, you know, now into the lymph nodes, armpits and stuff like that, really checking out uh, the whole body. Um, mammogram, ultrasound. MRI blood work biopsy. Um, now, after they have discovered the breast cancer, they will redo everything above and also a bone scan. And this is where I found this really interesting as well. They'll do a PET scan, which is a positron emission tomography scan. So they use radioactive glucose. And you go into on a table and surround you like a CT. And it rotates around the body to see where the glucose is being used. And malignant tissues use more glucose than healthy tissue cells or healthy cells. So it will light up. Oh, that's yeah. very cool. Uh-huh. So well, then they... Yeah, that's... And they're always like this thing about cancer, like it feeds off of sugar. You shouldn't have sugar. But mm -hmm. it's talking about like like fruits and vegetables and natural sugars. It's not... It's They're talking about bad sugar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then they grade the tumor and then they treat based on that. Um, and the treatment plan may include surgery to remove the tissue, chemo, hormone therapy that removes or blocks the hormones that make it worse, uh, radiation and targeted uh, um, treatment, which they use drugs that target the malignant cells specifically. So that's it. That's the uh, our episode on male or gender specific um, disease processes.
Very fascinating. I learned a lot. I learned some, a lot some too. Some stuff I knew, some stuff I didn't know. So, 100%. And um, I'm glad that I did this because I think it's important to do, but also how much I learned, how much more educated I feel now. So, uh, yeah, the next episode is going to be on female related um, diseases, obviously, uh, using um, ovaries, uterus, uh, uh, breast cancer, different. Um, different disease process and for specifically for women. So that will be the next episode. And if there's anything that I uh, said wrong um, or meaning that I, I didn't, you know, I, I gave misinformation on, please let me know. Cause I, I mean, I used a lot of references here, but I want to make sure that I am um, saying the right things and teaching the proper um, content. I don't want to be, I'm okay with being wrong <laughs> so that I can correct it. So let me know. And if there's anything else in regards to men's health that you want me to discuss, uh, I, I'm more than happy to do it. I'm, I'd, I'd like to do it. So uh, please, like I said, let me know on the Facebook group or drop me a line at stat trauma pod, S-T-A-T-T-R-A-U-M-A pod.com. No, at gmail.com. Oh, it's in the show notes. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. And I hope that you are all safe out there. And um, yeah, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.